interns and now more of our members. Um, and Mitch, after the three weeks of mission trips we've had in the neighborhood, and after uh, Fall Family Fun Night, um, he needed a break. So um, we decided to give him a week of rest, um, and he asked me to teach. So um, if you don't know me, my name is TC. I've been a member of Griggs here for um, going on four years, um, and it's been so amazing to see um, how this church has impacted me so much and has impacted the community so much. Um, Alvin was joking about uh, the backpacks we had. If you were there, we saw the backpacks being handed out on Wednesday night, and it was so funny because Mitch had texted me and Alvin, Mitch is our pastor, and he texted me and said, all right, so you guys are gonna, you guys are gonna go out and at, set up at 6.30, and at seven, you're gonna give out all the backpacks. And we're like, okay, we got this. We're gonna set the backpacks at seven o'clock, we're gonna start giving them out. And we got out there at 6.30, and we started setting up, and immediately, we started giving out backpacks. So Mitch comes over to the So as we explored what true dependence looks like today, um, I want to look at the story of King Asa. Um, we read a little bit of him in chapter 15. Um, but I want us to look at what we can learn from his life about what true dependence in God looks like for us. Um, and I want to start actually where King Asa starts, um, where the Bible jumps into him, and that's in 
chapter 14, verse 1. And a little bit of background. So, just so you know who he is, Asa is, is Solomon's great-grandson. So there's King David, a man after God's own heart, Solomon, the wisest and richest man to have ever lived. There was his son, his son, and now we're at Asa. Okay? So read with me in, cha- in uh, chapter 14, verse 1. And Abhai, which is Asa's father, slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place, and in his days... The, ran, the land had rest for ten years, and Asa did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord. All right, so pause here. I know we're in one verse in, but here, we're, as we're introduced to Asa and his father, who wasn't the best guy, but he was a good guy, the very first thing we find out about him is that the land had rest for ten years. And this was most likely rest from war and from toil, but this rest is really important. And you might say, that seems really dumb. It seems like a very small detail. It doesn't matter. But as you read the Bible, one thing you learn, this rest was actually commanded to Asa. The kings were supposed to let the land rest, and almost no one did. Like, this is the least obeyed commandment in the Bible, is to let the land rest. Um, but what we see here is that Asa starts out his reign by letting the land rest, by obeying God. And I think it's really cool because... As we go on and we talk about the amazing things that happened to King Asa, I think it's important that we, we recognize where his dependence started. It didn't start way down the road when these armies came against him and when he was hopeless. His dependence started right here when he obeyed. And I think it's really important when we, when we start to recognize that he didn't just wake up one day and all of a sudden decide that he was going to be dependent. But it, as his obedience grew, so did his following of Christ, and so did his dependence in God and his faith. And that's because dependence on God does start with following him. And when we look at these 10 years of rest, I think it's important that we understand that this kind of rest wasn't just like, okay, no one's going to fight, you know, we're not going to work that hard, it's going to be okay. What this rest was, at least in some form, it was what we called Sabbath rest, um, which is where people very intentionally don't do things, not people go out and do things, people intentionally don't do things that are crucial to their survival so that they can, they can see God provide and they can be left with this kind of sense of awe and wonder and power. And I want to take a break here and talk about this kind of rest because this is something that we, we as a church do really, really poorly in America. Um, America is the land of the American dream, which is an amazing dream. But so oftentimes we get caught up in that in that we just have to keep working and keep trying. And rest is something that we... We, we very rarely even pay any attention to. Um, but this idea of Sabbath rest is actually tied to the idea of a Sabbath day. And I think you all heard, you've all heard the fourth commandment. You know, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, and this basically was where no one worked on the Sabbath day of the week. Um, and this was not the first weekend. And this was not even to give the people a break from work. But what it actually was, to, was meant to do was to build the people's faith. And you say, well, how did it do that? I'm going to tell you. We see the Israelites, and when they were observing the Sabbath day specifically, they lived as hunters and gatherers, as farmers. So if, has anyone here had a garden? Okay, a couple of you have. All right, so if any of you had a garden where, like, you have to look at it, like, more than once a day. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you guys have seen this. So I remember a couple of years ago, my family, we bought property. We lived in the city our entire lives. My dad was like, we're going to buy a farm, and we're going to live on the farm. So we bought a farm, bought a farm, lived on the farm. 
And my mom was like, we're going to plant a garden. And so they're talking about how big the garden's going to be. And so they're like, well, you know, we have all the land, so we, we can have a big garden. So let's do half an acre. So just for, like, do you guys understand? This is not like we're hiring people. Like, this is me, my little sister, and my mom. And like, okay, so half an acre. So we had no idea what we were doing. So we planted a half acre garden. Just as so you guys know, for an entire summer, my mom, me, and my little sister worked from morning to dark just harvesting stuff. Like, we didn't care for the plants at all. We were horrible farmers. Like, all we did was try to keep everything that we planted from spoiling. And we had to be out there every single day. And we lost, like, probably three quarters of what we grew. It was horrible. Like, there's, there's still plants out there that are going that are like, bro, we're, not, we're never having a garden again. That was too much work. But, like, if you see that, you start to understand, in this kind of society, you couldn't take a break. Like, if you decide to not go move the sheep one day, all the sheep will be gone the next day. Like, literally. But God set, set this up to say, hey, it's not about giving you a break. It's not about, you know, you guys need to sleep in one day, you know, get your Starbucks and then relax. No, what this is about is we are going to be dependent on God. We understand that unless we, we're going to understand that we have to go out tomorrow and work. It's not a choice. Like, like, in order for us to survive, we have to. But we're not going to. And it's not out of laziness, but it's out of a desire to be more dependent on God. And to say, God, I know this is crucial that we do this, but it's more crucial that we trust in you and that we rest in you. And I think that's so amazing. And it's hard for us to really get a grasp on this in today's culture because we don't really do this at all. And I think that it's important that we understand this and that we reinstill this into our, our lives if we're gonna have this, this true dependence on God that, that Asa has here. And I, I want us to get away from this thing of where we're only gonna trust in God and we're only gonna rest in Him when it's absolutely necessary. You know, only when, when rent is due tomorrow and we have no money to pay rent do we pray to God. Like, we have to get away from that, guys. And I think it's possible for us today and I think there's, there's lots of ways we can do this, but there's one specific way that I want to talk about. And I know we've read one verse. I'm on a tangent. It's okay. Mitch isn't here. No one tell him. Okay. Um, and so the main way we can do that today is by fasting. Okay. Now, immediately, all of you guys are like, I don't know about that. Fasting sounds kind of weird. And, and I know that. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that we're... That, it's talked about in the Bible, and no one does it anymore, and it's like, why does no one do this anymore? Like, the Bible says to do this, why aren't we doing it? Um, so I just want to go over it really quickly, and the first thing I want you guys to understand is what fasting is not. And this is a misconception for me, and I've had it for, for years until just recently when I started to learn. Fasting is not the idea of, I'm going to come over here, and I'm not going to do something, and it's going to cause me pain, and I'm going to be like, God, I'm in pain, and this is how serious I am about something. Like, that is not the point of fasting. The point of fasting is that we stop doing something that we have to do in order for God to take control and for Him to sustain us. So this is most often done with food. And the reason it's most often done with food is because food is something that is essential for us to live. You know, something has to die that we live, whether it be a sweet potato, whether it be a cow, whatever it is, something has to die so that you can live. That's just a perfect picture of the gospel in our food. And if you, don't, if you stop eating, you will feel it. You will feel tired. You will feel drained. 
Um, if you're into fitness, you know that if you put different things in your body, you can feel horrible for days, okay? So what fasting is for, it says, God, I need food to live. I need food to have a good attitude, to be able to work tomorrow, to be, able to be sustained, I need food. But I'm not gonna eat food because more than I need food, I need you. And I understand that if I don't have your strength empowering me and my body, it doesn't matter where I have food or not. And that's the purpose behind food. And when you, when you start to realize that, you start to realize that fasting doesn't have to be done with food. Um, I'll give you guys an example. Um, so I, I just got engaged back in June. And um, so for the last six months before June, I'd been saving for a ring. And I was really excited about buying a ring, but I was in college. Um, I was doing my, my junior year. And I was, going, I, was going, I was working about two days a week, and I was having school every time that I was not at work. Um, and as I, as I was working more, I realized there's no way I'm gonna pay for this ring. So I decided to be entrepreneurial, like I do. And I was like, I'm gonna go deliver groceries. So I started working every night, every Sunday, every Saturday, as, as much as I could delivering groceries. And, and it got to the point where I was making good money delivering groceries in my spare time to pay for this ring. I'll never forget, I was sitting like right, right where Justin's sitting. I was sitting there and like the sermon is like 75% of the way done. And I'm, I'm, I open up my phone and I'm looking for, for like groceries to deliver and I'm like going through and it just hits me. It's like, here I've been hustling, you know, working as hard as I can and not once have I asked God to provide for this ring. And it just kind of like, it just kind of shook me. Like, like I'd been striving so hard just to make just a little bit more money. And I had never even stopped to thank God for the money he'd already given me. And I'd never stopped to ask him to provide the rest of the money that I needed. Like, like I had direct access to the richest, wisest being that's ever existed, that created everything in the world, who, who made the diamonds that I'm trying to buy. And I had never stopped to think about it. I had been striving to, to come up with business ideas so that I could make just a little bit more money every single week. And I had direct access to the best business guru in the universe. Like, it's not Gary Vee, guys. I promise, if you know who that is, Gary Vee, no matter how much, hard, how, how much he tries, he's not the best business guru in the world. But, but I had this access, and I was never even using it. And as I sat in church, I remember I sat my phone down and I was just begging God, like, God, forgive me for being so dumb. Forgive me for, for, for trying so hard. And I knew, I, I was like, I need this money, God, but more than I need this money, I need your provision. So I decided that I wasn't going to deliver groceries anymore on Sundays. Um, and Sundays was like the primary day I was doing this, was Sunday nights, because I didn't have school. Um, and God provided. And that was really scary, but it was much more scary for me to have to live with the fact that I hadn't been dependent on God. And that's what I want you guys to get as we look at uh, Asa here. He gives his land this rest because he wants his people to experience this kind of dependence on God. And we're going to see now um, how God goes beyond his just obedience and gives him something where he really has to be dependent on God. Um, so look here in verse... Nine. Look at verse nine. Okay. 
Um, and this is just an amazing picture of how we see um, as we do the things we're supposed to do, and as we obey God, that dependency starts getting built up, and amazing things, and God starts to do amazing things in our lives, and we start to see them. So look in verse 9. It says, Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and they came as far as Mersha. Um, and Asa went up to, out to meet him, and they drew up their lines in battle, and Zephram and uh, at, Zephra, at Zephrah and Marsha. Okay, so here we learn that the king of Ethiopia has come against King Asa, seeking to destroy him, to wipe him off the planet, take all their gold, because we know at this time they had a lot of gold. Um, and they have about a million men, right? And they come out before them, and we know that at the same time, we're told uh, just a couple verses before, in verse 8, that King Asa has about 500,000 men, and that his men are considered the mighty men of valor. And I really, really want you guys to see King Asa's reaction here because it's really, really unique. Look at verse 11. And Asa cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, there's none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are, the, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. And I'm like, wow, this is so amazing. Right? Like, like this, this young king is being presented with this huge foe. And his very first thought is not, you know, let's, let's scheme, let's get better plans, let's, you know, train our guys harder. It's actually, let's pray to God. Let's turn and be dependent on him. And it's so amazing what the writer of Chronicles says next. He says, and so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and of all of Judah. And I love that because it leaves no question who or what was responsible for that victory. Like, it's so amazing, like, He's just like, God, will you please save us? God, we have these men, and we, we, we can go out into battle, Lord, but we're not going to do it, Lord, because you alone are the one that can give us victory in this situation. And something that we miss a lot of times in this, because like a million men sounds like a lot, but then you stop and think about it. So Gideon went up against 130,000 men with 300 guys. And here we have Asa going up against a million men with 500,000 guys. And it sounds like a lot, but then you think about it, and it's like, wait a second. If, if my math is correct, that's two on one. Like, not to sound weird, but like, those are pretty good odds. Like, I would take those odds. Um, but, and like maybe, and these are mighty men of valor. Like, we, we hear in First Chronicles about the acts that these men did. And it wasn't like, you know, they were okay. It's like they were prestige in Call of Duty. Like, these were good guys, okay? But I, I want you guys to see here that Asa did not do the logical thing. The logical thing would have been, you know, to go and take that chance. But what he did instead is that he came before God. And we have to understand this because to be fully dependent, it doesn't mean that we turn to God when there's nowhere else to go. Anyone can do that. I mean... You hear that about the, the sayings from World War II that, you know, there are no atheists in a foxhole. Anyone can turn to God when there's nowhere else to go. But true dependence on God means relying on Him when we are capable and confident to make the choices on our own. And this is key because so often we have this kind of crisis faith where we only want to turn to God if we have nowhere else to go. Only when we're backed into that corner. But that's not what God calls us to and that's not what true dependence is. Because if you have nowhere else to go, you're not actually 
being dependent on God, you're taking the only available door. And what I want you guys to see here is that true dependence on God means that you're depending on him even when it's more logical to not depend on God. And I think this is really important for our own church and our own personal lives because we have literally thousands of Christians who just, they, they want to make, you know, we're working hard to make better programs and we have better church strategies and we want to, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to have a kids night and then we're going to have um, a, family, a fall family fun night and then we're going we're gonna to contact the parents and people are going to get saved and we'll plug them into our discipleship groups and we're going to work through all these programs, you know, and we're going to get done what the Bible tells us to get done. But we have very few Christians who are willing to, to stop and say, hey, before we plan strategy, before we, we think about programs, let's sit down and let's just beg God to do something, to do anything through us and our church. And it's like, it's like, there's, there's no problem with strategies and programs. But the problem comes when we begin to trust more in the great work that we've done through our strategies and programs than we decide to depend on the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the problem comes in. And it's actually really interesting because sadly, there's a perfect mirror of this in King Asa's life. Turn over to, verse, to chapter 16. Um, 2 Chronicles 16, starting in verse 1. And it says, In the, in the 36th year of, Asa's, of King Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go in or to come out to King Asa, king of Judah. And this is important. I want you guys to understand what's going on here. So, after, like, like Nathan read, after 35 years of peace, after 35 years of depending on God, there's a mirror, there's a mirror event to that first event that happened. There was a battle, a battle then, and there's about to be a battle now. And what we see is that the king of Israel, uh, so this time, Israel and Judah have split. After Solomon's reign, they split. So there's the, the Kingdom of Israel, Kingdom of Judah. Judah are good guys, Israel's the bad guys. Um, so here Israel is coming against Judah to destroy them. And sadly, we see that we see that even though Yahweh had destroyed this, this incredible army and all these amazing things that happened, King Asa decides that he's gonna have a very different response. So look at uh, verse two. Then Asa took silver and gold from the, treasures, uh, from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house, and he sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, there's a covenant between me and you, as there was a covenant between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with uh, Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw, with, withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the city of Israel. So, the first thing, before we beat up on King Asa, the first thing I want you guys to understand is that this is a really logical choice. Like, he has someone who is willing to be his ally. He has gold that God has given him. And not only that, but the plan actually works. Like, before we ever hear from God, what we see here is he makes this covenant, and he puts forward this plan, and the plan works. Like, Israel went away. It wasn't like they did this and it failed horribly and God was mad at them because it failed horribly. No. This plan happened and it worked. But let's look at God's reaction here. In verse... Uh, sorry, guys. Verse 7. 
At that time, Hanai the seer came to, king, to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria, and you did not, because you relied on the king of Syria, and you did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. And he goes back and references chapter 14. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with many chariots and many horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hands. For the, and this is such an amazing verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those who, whose heart is blameless towards him. But you have acted foolishly, and from now on you will have wars. And we see here that God is not happy at all with King Asa's decision. And what I want you guys to understand is that it wasn't because he did the deal wrong or even because the gold that was part of this deal came from the storehouse of the Lord. Like, God's not mad at that. Like, if I had to guess, I would think he's mad about it, but he's not. But what, he's, what God is upset about is the fact that Asa relied on the might of others and not in the might of God for victory. And when, when I first read this, I was like, that's such a weird thing to get upset about. Like, we've all these things that, like, if you have a boss or if you have parents, um, they just get upset about weird things. And it's like, why do you get upset about that? But what we have to understand is the goal of our victories is not our salvation, but God's glory. So when Asa makes this very, very logical choice, the problem isn't what he's achieve, trying to achieve, but the fact that he's trying to achieve it without God. And I mean, I mean to look at this and it's like, it's like man, King Asa broke this 35-year streak of dependence on God. Like, like, how did this happen? Like, after everything he'd seen God do, like a million men wiped out before him. Like, they didn't have to do anything. They were just wiped out. And then the, the remaining guys fled, and King Asa got to chase them. And they brought back all this spoil, and they sacrificed it to God. And it's like, like, like how? But then I look at my own life, and this just becomes so evident. Like, like, how many times do I beg and plead for God to do something, to do anything through our church, or through my own life, or in my own life? Like, just to, to save one person, or to bring one person closer to Him. And then it happened, and I'm, I'm just struck with this awe and this wonder. And then two weeks later, I'm stagnating again. And I'm no longer on fire from the Lord. And I was like, this is so easy. And like, don't you just look back sometimes and think like, 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 man, how did we do, how did we do that? Like, like, we see things that happen in the past, and it's like, man. And I was actually talking to Katie and Andrew about this just this past Wednesday. Um, we were talking about, so we had Camp Griggs this summer, and we were talking about our very first Camp Griggs. Um, were any of you here for that? Just so I know. Okay, a few of you. Um, so our very first Camp Griggs happened in the summer of 2019. And it was a mess. Like, it was horrible. <laughs> um, I remember the first day, I came here on Wednesday night, I got here a little bit late, I walked downstairs, and I walked downstairs with a fist fight happening in the foyer. Like, the two kids were just going at it, and we had to pull them apart, it was a whole mess. And it's like, I look at that, and I remember just being so lost. I remember just, just praying that God, save us somehow from these kids. Allow us to have, you know, allow us to have love for these horribly behaved kids. Just give us peace so that we can, we can minister to them and we can talk to them and we cannot get upset. Allow us to be gracious to them even though they don't deserve it at all. And God, use this just somehow for your glory. 
working one of these kids' heart. And then he did. And like, he didn't let us, like, we didn't lose any kids. No kids got lost or kidnapped. No one died. Like, it was so amazing. And not only that, but there was kids that came out of that that are in our church now that matured spiritually. And they grew. And like, as, as far away as we've come now, it's amazing to look back on these, um, these just amazing things that God has done and all this amazing growth our church has had. I mean, like, if you were here last week, Mitch talked about how our church started with 10 people. Like, there's a lot of people missing a day, but there's more than 10, legitimately. And it's, it's so easy to think, like, oh man, all that hard work finally paid off. But then I read passages like this, and I read verse, uh, verse 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, and it's just like, I could just hear God crying out, like, no, that wasn't you. You were not the one that put on the worst children's uh, camp ever to have existed, and there was growth from it. Like, that wasn't you. And he's just begging us. He's saying, I'm just looking to and fro the earth for someone whose heart is blameless, someone who is willing to depend on me, because I want to bless them, and I want to bless you. And it's like, we think about that verse, and I'd, I'd even never heard this verse until, like, two weeks ago. And I kept thinking about that verse. Uh, I was thinking of a verse. Sorry, guys. Um, oh, the devil, the devil uh, is, a, is like a roaring lion, prowling, prowling the earth, seeking who he can devour. And like we think about that verse, and we, and we get so discouraged. It's like, everyone, read your Bibles, guard your hearts, like someone's going to die. But then we read this verse, and it's like, no matter how hard the devil is seeking, God is seeking harder. He's looking for anyone, anyone who is willing to be dependent on him, anyone who's willing to say, you know, God, I actually can't do this. I'm actually totally inadequate. Or, God, I know how to do this. God, I've gone to work, and I've made this product, and God, I've, I've closed the deal seven times. Seven out of seven. I'm perfect. I have a perfect record. But God, if you're not here, if you're not with me on this eighth time, then I cannot do it. So God, be with me in this time. And guys, it's just, it's, it's so hard because God, I, can, I just know that God wants to bless us so badly. But as long as we're proud and as we're relying on ourselves, he can't do it. And as we think this way, as we, re, as we re, read this and we realize that after 35 years, King Asa failed, the one thing that we have to, to understand and we have to rely on is that True dependence on God is a constant, everyday choice. And we see that, that Asa does not make that choice. Look at verse 10. Um, and then Asa was angry with the seer. This is the seer who came and brought this message from God. Chapter 16, verse 10. And he put him in socks in prison, for he was in a rage. And because, and because of this, King Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at that time. And it's just like, man, God is running so hard after Asa, and he's turning away, and Asa is he's given this chance. He's given a choice right here to turn back, to be dependent on God once again, and he doesn't do it. And then, look in verse 11, and it says, in the 30, or verse 12, sorry, in the 39th year of the reign of King Asa, 
He was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And it's like, man, God was running after him. It's like God is, is, doing, is giving him this disease, this, this horrible thing. He's just, just begging ass. It's like, I'm giving you this, but it's not a bad thing. I'm giving you this opportunity so that you can come back and be dependent on me once again. But Asim refused, and he, instead he decided to, to turn to the physicians. And when he could have turned to the healer and the creator of everything. And it's not that God doesn't like doctors. We have a lot of doctors in our audience. It's not that God doesn't like physicians. It's that he was relying in physicians rather than relying in God. And it's like, you, you, you just feel this tension in these verses of, you, you, I just want Asa to turn back and to look back and remember. But then in verse 13, in the 39th, in the 39th year of his reign, King Asa slept with his fathers. And it's like, and after all that turning to God, we see Asa's story end with him relying on his own strength and on his own wisdom. And what I want you guys to understand is that this is not where our story has to go. The King Asa's story does not have to end here because we can daily choose to be dependent on, on God and then we have the opportunity to begin to know God and love Him in, in a way we could never even imagine because as we choose daily to depend on God, then we can daily begin to have a walk and a relationship with God that's deeper than we, I could have ever imagined. And to see this, I want us to actually turn back Chapter 15. So this chapter 15 comes right after that huge battle. Okay? King Asa has just been dependent on God, and they decide that they're going to keep being dependent on God. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Azariah, the son of Odin, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and all of Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you're with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel, Israel went without the true God and without a teaching priest, and without the law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, they sought him, and he was found by them. In the times when there was no peace, um, when, when there was no peace to him who went out, or to him who came in, for the greatest servants afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. And they were broken in pieces, and nations were was crushed by nation, and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you, take courage, do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So, so he's given this promise. The same promise that I'm trying to, to explain to you guys that we have. He was dependent on God, and he's given this promise. And look at what he does. This is way back in the beginning, right after this victory. Verse 8, chapter 15. And as soon as Asa heard the, the words of the prophet Azariah, the son of Obed, he took courage, and he put away all the idols in all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from all the cities they had taken in the hill country and in Ephraim, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all of Judah and Benjamin and all those from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon who were residing in them, for a great numbers had deserted to him. These people are leaving their countries and they're coming to Asa. And read why. Because they saw that the Lord God was with him. Because guys, when you're dependent on God, when you're humble and when you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just love God and I, and, I, and I want to see him work. I want to see him work in my church, in my life, in my marriage, at my business. I want to see him work. And he does. And it says, And they gathered in Jerusalem on the third month of the 15th year of the reign of King Asa. And they sacrificed to the Lord on that day the spoil that they had brought. They sacrificed 700 oxen and 700 
thousand sheep. And they did this so they could enter into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. And guys, it's like they come forward and they're actually making this covenant with each other. Because everyone in Israel has seen the great work of God and they've, they've seen his dependence and they say, we're done. We're done with these other idols. We're done with trying our own strength. We want nothing more than to be totally accountable to one another, to be dependent on God. And they get so serious about this, you can read in the next couple of verses, that they're like, anyone who's not willing to make this covenant, anyone who's not willing to follow God with their whole heart and whole mind, we don't want them here. Cast them out of the city. Kill them if they don't want to leave. Send them out because we do not want anyone to be a distraction and a hindrance of our dependence on God. They're like, we need God more than we need anyone. And, and Asetix is so far, read in verse 16, he casts out his mother. He comes to his mom and he's like, Mom, really? After everything we've seen God, God do, why? You've seen this, Mom, Mom, you, Mom you're, you're gone. And he sends his mom out. He takes the idol that she had made, crushes it, burns it, throws it in a river. He says, we're not going to have this. We're not going to tolerate it at all. And as he does this, it's just like, this is so amazing. This kind of fruit and this kind of dependence on God. Like, they just wanted nothing more than to follow God and be fully dependent on Him. They didn't care about how hard they had to work. They didn't care about anything. All they cared about is that God would be the one powering them. That He would be the energizing force behind all of this. And after reading all of this, it's like, man... Like, what would it have been like if King Asa's story ended here? Like, like, what if it said in the 36th year of his reign, King Asa slept with his fathers? Like, how amazing would that be if, if he just kept on a little bit longer? If he just kept following God just a little bit more? Like, how amazing would that story have been? And maybe after reading this, you guys just kind of feel like me. Um, like, like, desperately wanting to be dependent on God desperately wanting to get away from this hustle-bustle lifestyle that we have and move forward to this lifestyle where we're, we don't care about anything. We don't care about the news. We don't care about the stock market. Anything and everything we do is wholly dependent on Him. Whether our money goes up or our money goes down, we don't care. Whether our church grows or whether our church shrinks, we don't care because we just want to be so dependent on God. But you see this you're seeking ass to fail and it's just discouraging. It's like, it's like I desperately want to be dependent on him. I desperately, I desperately want to be the one that he finds. Yet I feel totally in, in, incapable of achieving this kind of perfection. And it's almost terrifying to try to, to come to, to think about coming to a place where we harden our hearts against him. But guys, there, there's more to this story. Just like God gave Asa a second chance, he, he's willing to give us a second chance. And so to close this out, I, I want us to turn really quickly to 2 Timothy, um, chapter 2. And, and I think this is just some of the most uplift, up, uplifting words in the entire Bible. Um, and this is, this is Paul talking. Where he says, the, the saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. And he is faithful, guys. Our God is amazingly faithful. So even those times when we fail, or if you feel like you've been failing, 
If you feel like me, where it's like, I'm just, I'm just falling from one failure to another, never, never even thinking about turning back to God until it's, it, it seems like it's too late. Just, just remember, even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. He is eagerly seeking across the earth to find just one whom He can bless. And guys, I hope you pray today and that we, we, we strive today that, that, that some of those people will be us. So guys, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the amazing work you've done in our church. I thank you so much, Lord, for this dependency you've built um, through this church, but even in me. Lord, I, I thank you that you've allowed us and you've been gracious, to us, gracious enough to us, Lord, that you've seen us when we've fallen, Lord, and you've seen us fall away, and, but yet you remain faithful. God, I pray that we would be like King Asa. Lord, I pray that we would, we would leave everything else behind and that we would, we would stop trying to hustle just a little bit more. We would, we would forget the lie that all of our power comes from ourselves, and if we just get up a little bit earlier and we work a little bit harder, then we can do anything, God. And I pray that we begin to realize and understand that all of the power and all of the, the might comes from you, Lord. Lord, and I don't want anyone here, Lord, to depend on any kind of feeling or any kind of thing that came from this message, Lord, but I pray that they depend on the Holy Spirit, Lord, that comes down. Lord, the Holy Spirit that you freely give to us, that you want to give to us, God, and I pray that if it's at all possible, Lord, that you would just let someone in this church be the one, Lord. God, we don't even care if it's in this church, Lord, but let someone, Lord, let someone be the one that's dependent on you. God, I'm sick and tired of this, this Sunday faith where we come to church, and we come to church on Wednesday night, but we never live dependent on you. And I'm sick and tired of Christians feeling burnt out and feeling lost, and feeling like, like you've, that you've, they've lost their power in you. God, I want to see supernatural dependence, Lord, that comes from you. And God, I pray that you would bring that to this church. God, I, I beg you that if anyone here, Lord, anyone here has that, Lord, that, that they would today turn, that they would stop trying, that they would turn to you, God. I thank you so much for this church. The blessing they've been, Lord, and the blessing they'll continue to be. Lord, we thank you, Lord, and we love you so much. Thank you for being faithful. And God, now as we lift you up in worship, Lord, may our worship be pure and blameless before you. Amen. If you want to go ahead and stand, we're going to be in our white books, page seven. Lord, I need you. I think during the, I would just encourage you to, I mean, just reflect on that, that we need to be wholeheartedly dependent on God, that aside from him, we can't do anything in our own power. We're incapable of being righteous. Um, and God desires um, to find the one. And so if there's something in your life that you're holding on to and not trusting God with, I encourage you just to reflect on that and give it over to God as we sing this. Page 7, Lord, I need you. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find you I fall apart you're the one that guides my heart 
need you, oh.